Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I work for a guy who's become really just a, a dear friend of mine, but he's the boss. He's the master carpenter. It's who he is. And I show up to work and he already has the game plan. So Floyd has the blueprints to anything and everything we're ever going to build or work on. I never see the blueprints. I never, ever, ever see the blueprints. Never. I never see the drawings. I never see the measurements. I never see any of it. I show up to work. He tells me what to do. And I do it. That's how it works. Do you work for the master carpenter? Today, Pastor James uses his work situation to illustrate how our relationship with God should be. God is the master carpenter that holds the blueprints. God knows what it'll take to accomplish the job. He includes us in the work that he's doing by giving us tasks to do. He may want us to witness or simply give someone a cup of water. Our job is to hear and obey his instructions, even when we don't know why. Let's simply obey the master and watch what he's doing. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 5 as Pastor James continues his message, Chosen to Glorify. We're always going to have sins that we wrestle with all throughout our lives. Please tell me we're fighting against compromise. We're not just like, I'm a sinner. That's just how it is, right? Sinners sin. That's just how it goes. No, no, no. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Tell me you're fighting. You might slip up and you might fall. I get that. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. But we do expect us as a collective group that we are fighting. Just like Peter said in 1 Peter, that we're not giving over to these fleshly desires, meaning we're not waving the white flag and surrendering to the flesh. The children of Israel were just known for, I mean, it was just compromise. And we saw that. It was just compromise, compromise, compromise. But these were God's chosen people. And he didn't choose them as Deuteronomy chapter 7 says. He didn't choose them because they were bigger than anybody else or they were, you know, smarter than everybody else or anything like that. He chose them specifically because they were smaller than everybody else. And nobody expected anything from that little bitty country called Israel. God's like, that's perfect. You're exactly who I want to use. Started with Abraham. And then from then on, his descendants, that's who God wanted to use. And he chose them as a special people to worship him, to glorify him, to represent him. And they said, no, thanks, God. We're glad we're chosen by you, but we kind of want to do things our way. And that would be the last little bit of how not to be a church. It's not about your way. It's not. It's not. And let me say this too. It's not about my way. It's not about my way. It's about his way. And what does God want? What does God want for Calvary Galveston? And again, we have individuals within this church who are on their faces constantly asking, Lord, please show us what you want. What you want. There's this uh, little illustration. I have a part-time job. I, I think most of you guys probably know that. I'm a handyman. A handyman, that's not all that handy, but uh, I do my best. I work for a guy who's become really just a, a dear friend of mine, but he's the boss. He's the master carpenter. It's who he is. And I show up to work and he already has the game plan. So Floyd has the blueprints to anything and everything we're ever going to build or work on. I never see the blueprints. 
I never, ever, ever see the blueprints. Never. I never see the drawings. I never see the measurements. I never see any of it. I show up to work. He tells me what to do, and I do it. That's how it works. That's how it works. Now, he will communicate to me, today we're going to build a chicken coop. So he casts the vision for me, and that's what we've done. But he doesn't submit to me like, okay, I'm going to give you the blueprints. James, I want you to go over these, and then I want your feedback. I want you to tell me what you think about this. And he doesn't do that. He says, this is what we're going to do. And I say, yes, sir. And he says, round up the tools. And I say, yes, sir. Let's get the material together. And I say, yes, sir. And I do exactly what he tells me. He says, I need a board cut this length. I say, yes, sir, and I go and cut that board that length. And then we put it together. I do everything that I'm told because he's in charge. Because he's in charge. At no point in time do I get to tell him, I don't like that. I don't agree with you, Floyd. Now, I could say that to him, but in the end, he holds the plans. He holds the plans. There are times where he has asked for suggestions. James, what do you think? And I chime in, but ultimately I submit to him as my leader because he has the plans. That's how it works. And that has created a beautiful work environment. That has caused me and Floyd to go from boss and laborer to friends. He and his wife buy my kids Christmas presents every single year. They've adopted us in as, as a family. I know if we wanted to, we could go to his house for Thanksgiving and just show up and they would feed us. Because we're not worker and boss, we're family, so to speak. And I know I would create a nightmare scenario for him if he's telling me what to do and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I don't think you should build it like that. In fact, I like, I like chicken coops that look like this. It's not my say. He buys the material. He supplies all the stuff. He's got the plan. I show up and do what he wants me to do, period. That's just how it is. Sometimes you know if you've ever built anything, you have some unruly material that you have to work with. If you buy two by fours from Home Depot, you know what that's like. <laughs> and a single one of those things straight. Um, and you encounter an issue with the thing that you're working with. This, isn't, this is not cooperating. We have a special pile for that. It's a wood pile that goes on the side of one of his properties. And we throw it over there. And we find a piece that is suited for that position. And we go with that one. The timber that we did not use for that specific project will be used later on, but it will be used for lesser things. It'll become scrap used for, to patch this or to do that. It will not be what it was originally, what we had hoped it, it was for. But it still gets used, but it goes in the scrap pile for later use. As a church, we want to be willing and available to God. You have the plans. You have the plans. To a certain extent, I get to be the foreman, so to speak, of this project. Along with not just myself, but a leadership team that, again, we're, we just want to hear from him. Just tell us what to do. Just tell us what to do. And to be, to be a good church means that we submit to him. We submit ultimately to him. We submit to, to leadership as well. And that's just how it is. That makes for beautiful projects. Makes for beautiful projects. So what should the church look like? Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. This is what we should be known for. This is what we should look like. Matthew chapter 5. Chapter 5 verses 13 through 16. 
It says, you're the salt of the earth. These are, again, Jesus speaking to his chosen ones. You're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, you actually cannot. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. That's the woodpile kind of a deal, okay? Right? You're the light of the world. A city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand or a lampstand. It's elevated where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you. No, doesn't say that, does it? No, it says praise your father. Okay, gotcha. I got some of you. You're like, wait, wait a minute. I've never heard that translation before. Now, if that's in your Bible, then throw that Bible away, okay? Like, that's not a good one, okay? Or just use a Sharpie or something, change that. No, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The, again, this echoes exactly where we've been in First Peter. As a church, as a people who are a royal priesthood, set apart by him to glorify God. How do we do that? Well, you've got to be salt, we have to be the thing that adds amazing flavor to all our dishes, right? I mean, that's one element of salt is it flavors, it seasons things. Salt is a preserver. So we should be adding, quote unquote, flavor to the cities in which we live in. We should also be a preserving type of a thing. That's the amazing thing about salt. And David Guzik says that Jesus never challenged us to become salt and light, He simply said that we are salt and light. And we're either fulfilling or failing that given responsibility. The church, how to be a good church, be salt and be light. You have to make an impact in in your environment, where you're at, within your homes. um, And and this is saltiness, not in the bad sense of like saltiness, um, which sometimes I get, uh, but salty in the sense of like preserving And it it has a medicinal purpose as well. It can be healing as well. That's how we ought to be within our homes, within our work environments, here at the church. We don't check our saltiness at the door. Again, the good saltiness, not the bad saltiness. Check that bad saltiness at the door, by the way. Um, Shake that stuff off outside. But we're still called to be salt in this room and how we interact with each other. So yes, it is a benefit for the lost, but... I think we sometimes forget that that's a benefit for each other. There should be a, a healing element that happens within church congregations. You should be able to come to church and not like dreading showing up to church. Oh, what if I see that person? They always rub me the wrong way. Like salt in the wound kind of a deal, right? Like, no, we should hopefully create an environment where people want to come here because it's safe. And because in one sense of the word, it brings a healing to our souls. And it rekindles a fire within us as we are lights, reflecting the great light, Jesus. He is the light of the world. To be a good church means that we are salty, means that we are light. We are a city on a hilltop, purposely put there for all to see. And if you've ever traveled around when it's just pitch black, you understand how warm and inviting a light is. If there's something about discomfort that comes from that when you're surrounded in complete darkness, 
That's what we're meant to be. That's what a church should be. It should be that light that's there for those who are in the darkness to see that and be attracted to that thing. Because that should like personify, so to speak, warmth, warmth, friendliness. That's what good churches should be like. We should be warm. We should be friendly. And I can say this about Calvary Galveston. Every compliment I get, every feedback that I get from you guys when we're not here is, you have the nicest church. The nicest church. Tabitha and Jamie were here leading the children's ministry conference. They were like, everybody just loved us and welcomed us. And people kept coming up to us, making sure, oh, did you, you know, making sure that they had gotten greeted. You want more and more of that because that's attractive to people who are stumbling around in this world in the darkness. To actually come into contact with Christians who are nice for once in their lives. You know how it is. You know how it is. I hope you understand that when the world thinks of the church, they do not think of the church as friendly. They think of the church as hostile. They think of the church as we hate everyone who is not like us. That is how the world thinks of us. And Peter addressed that. And he says, but we can't be known for that. So how do you combat that? You be warm. You be welcoming. You be friendly. You've you got to be salt. You have to be light. I mean, that's just, that's who we are. Salt, is, it's the opposite of corruption, and it prevents corruption from getting worse. So I need that personally within my life, but we need that corporately as a church as well. Okay? Light gives the gift of guidance so that those who feel they have lost their way can find the path home. A city is a product of social order and government and it's against chaos and disorder. So Jesus uses these three things to communicate to his chosen people, this is what I, when I talk about church, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. When I was in Israel, the last trip I went on, uh, we were in Jerusalem, and there's this beautiful stone church. I mean, it's quite literally what Peter was talking about, constructed of stone. And you go into this beautiful church, and, and just the acoustics are amazing. Amazing. And so everywhere we went in different stops, we, we would stop and do a teaching. And we had a guide with us, and she'd do a historical setting for us to let us know, okay, this is where it happened in the Bible. This is where this took place and all this good stuff. And then either myself or Pastor Bill from Amarillo, we would teach a little mini Bible study. But we also have worship. And for that particular stop, we were like, no. And we just had a guy with a guitar, but we're like, no guitar. Let's just use our voices because the acoustics were just amazing. And so we just started singing a song, a worship song. And I don't know which one it was, Welcome to the Jungle or something. No, that's not. Uh, <laughs> I got to keep you with me. Um, you're like, that's, that's a worship song? No, it's not. Um, well, maybe in some way, uh, just not to God. Um, no, we were probably singing like Amazing Grace or something like that, right? But I mean, our voices just filled this temple and it spilled out into the streets. And you had people walking on the outside of this church and they heard what was happening inside of the building and they were attracted to that. None of us are professional singers and it did not matter. Our voices became one in unison in worshiping God. We were together, we were unified and our voices came together as a sweet smelling aroma to God and it spilled out onto the streets and people who were on the outside came inside the church because they were like, I gotta see what's going on here. They were attracted by that. That's what we want. 
as a church, that's, what, that's who we want to be, where our voices just collectively come together. Whether we're singing songs of praise or, or how we're treating one another as we're interacting with each other or as we're serving each other within this community. We want our, our collective, everything we have to come together and it's a spill outside of these doors so that people walking by are like, I got to figure out what's going on in there. We have neighbors or tattoo guys, tattoo artists right next door. They know we're a church. I talk to these guys all the time, all the time. What we want is for our voices to spill out over into there and for them to be like, you know, I got to figure, I need to see what's going on in there. That's our goal. That's our goal. And for that to expand all throughout Galveston. That's a good church. So the last little bit of this, turn over, back over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is where we land the plane. You're like, yeah, right, I've heard that. This is it. This is, I just want to remind us because... I don't think we went through those passages just for like, I just need to find some text to go over and all that good stuff. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's like the Lord is putting this on my heart all throughout this week. And we can jump back into 1 Peter chapter 2 to see this is exactly what he's been saying. This is what we've been going through. So 1 Peter chapter 2 verses, um, starting in verse 9, it says, but you are not like that. This is talking about those who stumbled at the rock. And the ones who stumbled at the rock were, they were the Jews, Remember, we learned, we learned how not to be a church by their example. They stumbled over Jesus, but that is not who we are. That is not who we are. And this is what Peter says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Just like they were a chosen people, you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation. We learned last week that part of our sacrifice as a priesthood is ourselves, a living sacrifice. There are many other sacrifices that we offer up. One would be that of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. As royal priests, we need to be offering up ourselves as living sacrifices. We need to be offering up our, just our thanksgiving as priests, we need to be offering up that sacrifice as well. The other one is offering up a sacrifice of your money, of your money. Pass the buckets around. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the boxes are in the back. But why? Because it's, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. We're royal priests. This is what we do. This is who we are. You're a holy nation, You've been set apart. You're God's own, very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. You'll be salt and your light and you're a city on a hill. For he called you out of the darkness into his wondrous light, where we are reflectors of that light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, Beloved is what he is saying here. Beloved, beloved, I warn you, I warn you. As foreigners or temporary residents or as aliens to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. What brought down the children of Israel? Those worldly desires. And Peter is like, I beseech you, I beg you. Dear beloved, keep away from those things. And again, please understand that within the context of that, we're, we're not just talking about like these sins and all that stuff of like the major, what we call major categories of sins and lustful temptation or, or stealing or dishonesty. Yes, that's included, but we are also talking about murmuring and complaining, the very things that brought down the children of Israel. 
deny those things. If that's creeping up inside of you, if you find yourself prone to murmur and complain, then repent and apologize for that to God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. And here's the thing, man, I complain all the time. And I hate that about myself. I find myself complaining about things all the time. And we're so prone to complain and to whine and to what? Not be content with what the Lord has given to us or where he has placed us or what he has asked us to do. We have to be on guard concerning those things because that will take a good church and make it a bad church. Be careful to live out properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, which they might do, they will see your what? Honorable behavior, how you live your life. How you, li- how you actually live your life will testify against their accusations. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. Somebody brings a false accusation about you, you'll be like, examine my life. I have nothing to hide. And that's a good place to be. They'll, they'll see your honorable behavior and they will give honor. This is the beauty of it. They will give honor to God when he judges the world. The, your witness in this world will not go unnoticed. It will not go unnoticed. You're like, but nobody's given their lives to Jesus and all that stuff. Look, you're called to be a witness. You're not called to save souls. Okay, because let me, spoiler alert, you can't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit who woos somebody into a relationship with God. He will use your witness and your example as a part of that but let me take the pressure off of you. Just live as a light, live as salt, represent God. Let him do the saving. Let him do the saving. And in the end, we're a body that glorifies God in everything that we do. And that's our goal. And that is our goal. So we want to be that type of church. And I want to be a person that personifies that within my own walk with Jesus, but then collectively as a whole, because we're about to navigate into just crazy waters. And especially for us, as our environment, our world environment is is changing drastically. Now, we are not worse off than the people of this day when Peter wrote this letter, but things are changing for us. So how do we respect people in authority? You got to be a good church. A good church is just glorifying God. And part of a, a stone that's part of the bigger picture that is like, I'm just going to, I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to glorify God in all things that I do. How do you be, you know, concerning your work and relationships and all that stuff? I'm, I just want to glorify God in your familiar relationships and all that good stuff and your marriage relationships. I just, I want to glorify God. I got to glorify God. So that's why we pause there. It's to take a little step do a reassessment kind of a deal before we move forward. I would encourage you, just like Paul would address the churches in multiple uh, letters that he wrote or that the Holy Spirit used, uh, used him to write, put off the old man, put on the new man. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Say farewell to those old things, even in the murmuring and complaining and all that stuff. And that doesn't mean you can't bring ideas or questions and all that. Questions are welcome. Questions are welcome. That's fine. But the backbiting, murmuring, and complaining should never be a part of the church. Never. So we lay aside those things and we put on the new, the new, the new you in Christ. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, for the broken.
Don't you find it interesting that some of the most inspiring stories involve the main character suffering and possibly even dying for the sake of the cause? This theme is interwoven into mankind because it's inspired by Jesus himself. He suffered unjustly at the hands of cruel and sinful men, but the story didn't end with suffering and death. Although the final chapter of this life typically ends with suffering and death, the life beyond earthly existence is something that's worth taking risks and even suffering for. Living the Christian life is risky. It involves dying to yourself and being willing to take the heat from those that don't want to hear the message. If you're just tuning into this message and would like a little more backstory to the book of 1 Peter, we encourage you to go to our website, breadforthebroken.com, and take a look at the additional messages. As you browse our website, you'll also find an easy way to donate to this ministry if God leads you to do so. Are you in the Galveston area? If so, come visit us at Calvary Galveston. Once more, you can find out all the details of service times and location at our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you're not in the area, then you can join us on our live stream. We live stream on Facebook. Just search for Calvary Galveston. Here on Bread for the Broken, our mission is to find hope and new life in Jesus. We trust that what you're hearing on this radio ministry is uplifting to your soul, reminding you that your new life starts with Jesus. Leave a marker in your Bible where we've left off and come back again for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.